Hello and welcome to What Are You Laughing At? The podcast brought to you by the British Comedy Guide and which is predictably all about comedy. We begin 2013 like everyone else, determined after last year's sabbatical to make this a regular monthly occurrence. So all being well, there'll be another one of these in April. Our special guest today has been entertaining the nation one way or another for more than 25 years. He has won the Perrier Award, starred in his own sitcom and was for many years a regular on Nevermind the Buzzcocks, but has achieved great success beyond the narrow confines of comedy as a playwright, movie actor and most recently in Coronation Street. Please welcome Sean Hughes. Thanks very much. I I turned down Splash. (laughs) That's, uh, well, you know, you're... (laughs) I don't know if you're in good company because I think uh, everyone who's doing it uh, looks like they said yes straight away. No, I I, I didn't get asked. uh, (laughs) Sean Hughes, not even asked to be on Splash. Oh, well. Never mind. We might give you a bit of a career boost. You know, next year's Celebrity Big Brother, hopefully. No, No. I'd never dream of doing that. Have you ever (laughs) been asked? No, I've been been asked to do most of them, but not uh, Big Brother. I think they'd probably know straight away I'd, I'd fail that. Uh, do you have to do a psychiatrist yeah. test? I think they they probably looked at my stuff and went, no, he's, there's no way he's going to pass that. Like, oh, I got asked to do the very first I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And like, because even then you didn't know. In fact, I think initially they weren't sure if it was going to be in Australia or South Africa, kind of safari type vibe. Yeah. And like, when someone says, uh, do you want to go on safari? <laughs> you know, and we'll pay you, you start thinking, yeah, yeah, that sounds all right. But of course, I wouldn't dream of doing it if I didn't know what it was. But I think they might trick people with the new programmes into doing stuff like that. But I think there is also an element of, of, of much more now of, of the, um, that, that pe- people are just... There are more people out there who feel they have to raise their profile and if they're not doing something, even if it's regardless of people who are just famous for being famous. But yeah. I think you know, there are a lot of people, aren't there, who, who just, well, I need, I need profile while I'm between... I know, TV but series. the sad thing is, uh, it actually works because, you know, basically now there seems to be a kind of, it's like a little town, there's a population of people who appear on all these separate programs and, and that's their career now. Mm. But like, I think, and I don't want to be slagging off comics, but there's various comics who've done things like that to raise their profile as well, and it has raised their profile to get into the mainstream, which is what they wanted to do. And, it does work, and I just find, uh, uh, you know, it's all very well going, <laughs> but, you know, it's ridiculously, that's the way to do it. And I, I think it's best to just clear yourself out of that world totally. Well, it depends, really, I think. And, I mean, someone I'm going to talk to you later anyway about, uh, you know, about the fact You that sounded like the schoolmaster there, David. Did I? Oh, I'm going so. to talk to you later about that. Yes, okay, see me. Yeah. Uh, seven out of ten, VG. Um, no, one of, one of the things we're going to talk about was was uh how you, you i was interesting that it was just i mean let's talk about it now what the heck yeah um, hey. but uh we, we talked about this the other day um sean won the perrier award in uh, 1990 uh, it was the year before frank skinner won it yeah. the year frank skinner won it it was uh eddie izzard and jack d and joe brand were all nominated and uh, effectively it was that was like the first year that of the sort of the, the professional career of stand up well, yeah, comedians that was, began wasn't it yeah because before me there was the likes of uh, Jeremy Hardy and, and Old Brown and and sort of old, yeah you know, but old, I was the first balls, one yeah. that um, I, like, I pretty much got my own television show out of it but like mm. that's not because I won the Perry it's because the show I was doing was really good I just happened to win the Perry but to see your point through is yeah, now then the bigger agents thought, well, if you win the Perrier, you're guaranteed your own show. Right. And that's like where it kind of changed in a weird way. 
But I I'm to blame for a lot of modern comedy. You are, yeah. I do remember that show. It wasn't a stand-up show. It was, a, it was no. had, a, had a narrative. Um, but oh, it was a funny. Well, that show. was just like because, like uh, when I came over, like doing the clubs, I, I couldn't stand doing the clubs. I found them really suffocating. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I really said, well, I really have to express myself. And, I, and I, if this show doesn't work, I'm not supposed to do comedy because I find it like the way comedy is now. And I'd love to hear your point of view on it. But it's like just. Club comedy has just has always been awful. Yeah, there was a sort of window of maybe about three or four years around the time you were you were doing it, where it was, you know, kind of trying to be trying to be something else, maybe. But it, but it is that weird thing of like I would still much rather see something interesting above a pub where people are paying seven quid in than see even Louis C.K. at the O2 because I just don't believe that's a comedy show if you're seeing with. 14,000 people. Like, comedy is supposed well, to be quite an intimate yeah. thing. I've been, I've been wondering what to do about that. But, but it is that thing of, I just think, like, there's a kind of, uh, I would still, regardless of my success, if it was the right environment, love to play above a pub. You know, where other people just went, oh, I'm doing that until I get successful, then I can't wait to get out of that environment. And I think that's a big kind of uh, seismic shift in people. Like, we loved... When we were doing it, we loved the Red Rose Club and we loved playing those places. Where a lot of people are coming up now going, "Well, I'm going to do this shithole until I make it," and that's a yeah. big shift in yeah, attitude. Yeah, but I suppose there was also a feeling of the uh, no, I never enjoyed doing the, the the late show at the comedy store, but it sort of felt like a, something you had to do to prove yourself. Do, do you yeah, but uh, yeah, but I think we were kind of naive to think that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It was kind of yeah, I can do that. Look at me. And it was that thing of, uh, but like this is the thing. Like the thing that just kind of annoys me. The reason I do comedy is because the freedom it allows you of not working in an office environment and like. But like even back then, there was a hierarchy going. Well, you don't do the comedy store, so you're, you're there's a pecking order there. And it's like we, you know, comedy should be about the freedom of expression. And, and it, like no systems in place. We're trying to kick down our systems, but we're just as bad as everyone else. We we make our own system outside the system, and that's why I didn't like it really. Yeah. I'm an outsider. I'm I'm pretty much like uh, there will yeah. be blood. I'm I'm an oil man. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are actually a bit of an outsider. I mean, you, you your your CV does not read like a sort of standard comedy CV, really, does it? And it's just uh, trying to like you know a lot of it is with the acting novels. and stuff is yeah. you know just chancing your arm. But you know, I just I, I love the kind of uh, I love a challenge, but it's. Um, and I, I always will do. So it's, it's it's that's what I mean. Back to that slight point. It's never been about success, about celebrity. And like now, celebrity is really a, a dirty word. And it's kind of, uh, you know, I hate being dragged into it at any point because I've got a certain amount of celebrity, and you get pushed into. It. Like you know, I I used to hate that when people, regardless of anything, would go, "Oh, you're a Z-list celebrity." And then, I'm not. And any of this isn't. This is your own list. Mm. Why are you including me in this list that I want to be in? Mm. And I find that all. Uh, frightful, really. You weren't hanging out at Annabelle's or Tramps or. No, I don't uh, even know what those places are. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I, I or drank a out f- with a tramp. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, probably near the yeah. mark. But um, no, I kind of. Uh, yeah, I kind of never really got involved in that. Like, yeah. I, I drank heaps and kind of like got waywardly lost for a couple of years with. Because I was dragged into celebrity. And you, like, yeah. all of a sudden, I was just thinking about it yesterday, just going. Um, you know, I was on speaking terms with Dale Winton. I'm going, that's not what I fucking want in my life. I don't want him seeing me on the street and beeping his arm going, all right, Sean. And that's no offence to him. I'm just going, well, why, we should never, our, our paths shouldn't be crossing. Well, 
At least what Dale Winton has to say about <laughs> well, that's a lovely guy, but you know what I mean? I was just going, what's all that about? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind of... Um, but but this is what I mean. You, you, you Like, we all have egos. So we all get sucked into uh, wanting celebrity rather than being a celebrity. We want to be celebrated for what we do, which is what the word was initially. But but that's exactly... People lose sight of... Like, the likes of Ahmed doing Splash. We're not celebrating his comedy by him being on that. And he's kind of lost that little bit. He's lost that notion of we're not celebrating uh, yeah, his comedy. Ahmed has got... But by his own admission, accepted that it's uh, it's a really naff thing for him to do. But he's kind of always he's always sort of trodden that path, hasn't he? Between being kind of a sort of intellectual uh, voice of the Middle East versus singing, dancing clown, yeah. and he's like, and he's aware of that. I think as well. It's nobody's right to tell anyone how to live their life. But all I'm pointing out is. Yeah. You know, we're not celebrating this comedy and we're not celebrating anyone that I respect. We're not really, I want to celebrate what they're good at rather than just they happen to be on a, a box in our room. Yeah. 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 I should just, uh, just at this point, I would like to say we, we, he's been chatting here with us, but uh, he is um, also with us, is, is uh, the man who's a vice like uh, grip on the uh, British Comedy Guide and uh, its punctuation amounts to uh, grammatical correctness gone mad. So, uh, hello, Aaron Brown. Hello. Hello. Um, I'd just like to talk a little bit uh, about various things in the news, partly because uh, it, it's interesting having Sean with us here. You know, every couple of years or so, someone says, oh, audience sitcom is dead, it's finished, it's all over. Uh, then kind of suddenly, almost out of nowhere, you've got two of the biggest uh, hits on BBC over Christmas and, and through the new year are uh, audience sitcoms. And they have already achieved some success anyway. Miranda, of course, Series 3 now, the first series on BBC One, and Mrs Brown's Boys. Um, and these these shows are phenomenally successful at the moment by sitcom standards. But, uh, of course, as you mentioned, 20 years ago, you, you had the Irish accent, but you didn't dress up in a in a, a dress. But, I mean, the, the, the similarity between your show and Miranda and Mrs Brown's Boys, purely in terms of the fact that you, you were sort of breaking the fourth wall and you were kind of being yeah, a, a stand-up as well yeah, you were sort of that's something it, of a pioneer really. in, the, in that uh, well no I just like no because like uh, Gary Shanklin did it as well with, yeah like and I was very much aware of his show but like I, I wanted to because it was we'll even go back to what we were talking about because like after uh, I won the Perry and I was doing that show and Channel 4 said we'd like you to do a TV series around the show and I was going well I'd never really thought about doing a sitcom so my whole thing was to be trapped inside a sitcom so the character didn't want me in a sitcom, so he played off the fact that why is there a studio in my house? I just want to get on with my failing love life. So it was kind of original in that sense. But Miranda, like, it's, uh, you know, I, and people do kind of come up to me, but I, I, I don't really see it really. But, you know, she kind of, she knowingly looks at the camera, but, you know, I haven't got a copyright on that. But, and also I don't really watch those programs, so. But, but I find it really odd because two things. One is, like, people talk about uh, the success, and I think it was... Seven million or something, but it is Christmas time, and also my mum watched those programs and didn't really enjoy them. So I don't know when you say there's seven. I think seven million people are watching it quite cosily. I don't think there's seven million people going. This is fantastic. Well, no, I think I think it was about ten million over Christmas, and it's now kind of settled to around seven, seven or eight yeah, million. Aaron might be able that. to uh, elaborate. Uh, I've just got a couple of figures here. The uh, the first episode of the third series of Miranda, which was broadcast on Boxing Day, so obviously it had the big Christmas uh, viewer boost, 
uh, clocked up overnight ratings of 9.47 million viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, Mrs. Brown's Boys got 8.78 million for the first of its two Christmas specials on Christmas Eve, and around 9 million for the second special on Boxing Day, mm-hmm. which was in a double bill with Miranda. Um, and Where did they get these they figures from? I've always been curious. Uh, like you just obviously got them from your phone, but like, yeah. like magic. They calculate a number of different ways. Different people who are deemed to represent a specific kind of section of the audience have boxes. Has anyone in ever their questioned houses. that? Yeah, but it's it's like the old Churchill quote about democracy. You know, it's the it's the worst thing, but the best of what we've tried so far. But I, I've, I've never. But then, but then, on top of that, there are things like um, with iPlayer, they can gauge more accurately right. very individual viewers. And um, if you've got a Sky box or a Virgin box, that's connected to a phone line, most likely, and that isn't just by coincidence. It's connected to a phone line. That's so it can send viewer data back to Sky, and Sky can sell that onto the um, channels, um, saying this is how you find out what's most been watched. Yeah, because like even back in the seventies when they used to say this is how many people watch and that was before Sky and all the boxes. But I've never met anyone in my whole life no. and I've met hundreds mm. of people mm. that who have ever had a box. So mm. you know, I think it wouldn't be funny that the art history of what's popular has been down to twenty five extremely old women in <laughs> East Anglia. <laughs> and we've decided oh actually and yeah. they die and they replaced them by maybe some immigrants, and all of a sudden they go, whoa, television has really changed. All of a sudden documentaries are really <laughs> popular. So I, I just uh, I, I don't know how kind of I think there's a sort of, I don't know, regardless of those kind of figures, however crudely they're, they're done, there is a, you know, one has a gut feeling, and, and uh, I think the school playground test is often a good, a good yeah, one. Is what, what are kids talking about in the school playground? And what are people watching with uh what, what what do people watch with their parents and that's another way that figures mm. boost but i don't another thing i've never understood is if you put a program on bbc2 and i get like 2.8 million you put the exact same program on bbc1 and i get six million there are four million people who just go i'm not putting my telly on too yeah they have their telly on bbc1 the whole time but so. this is what i mean it's ridiculous and like Something like the Peep Show, which I don't know anyone who doesn't like the Peep Show, but apparently less than two million people ever watch it. Mm. So that makes no sense to me. Mm. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I've been trying it to. It's above one million, I think. Yeah. All right, bring the party down, why don't you? Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I actually I wrote a, a piece about this for a, a, a rival comedy uh, website. <coughs> I'm not. A, shouldn't really mention the uh, here, but I, I, I've, I have been trying to work out why. Something like Peep Show, which is a show I, that I just love. point out that this this particular site, the British Comedy with their Union Jack, I just come back from Belfast, it's hugely popular over there at the moment. <laughs> yes, and yeah. uh, a lot of hits it's, in it's Belfast. Up every night in Belfast, yeah. the British yeah. Comedy guy. Um, so well done on that. They're them. out in support. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but but I, I try trying to come to terms with why uh, a show that I, I dislike so much, I actually force myself to watch it again. Uh, like Mrs. We should Brown's just clarify, yeah. I was about uh, to say we should clarify this is Mrs. Brown's Boys, not Peep Show. Not Peep Show, yes, yeah. Well, I, which I, which I love. Uh, and, and how come, <coughs> you know, Mrs. Brown's Boys gets more viewers for one episode than 
Peep Show gets in two series, um, and I, I, and I sort of think there's, there is something about this this character. And apparently, I, f- I found out actually since writing an article that Mrs. Brown's Boys is actually a has been a sort of massively popular. It's been half a dozen books. It's been a movie yeah. with Angelica Houston, uh, mm. so it's been around for years. But but the the, the sitcom as it is, uh, it just sort of taps into something that people older women i think who are not on telly are marginalized a lot so you know it's albeit a man dressed as a, an older woman it's still a sort of well, yeah, it's, an it's older kind of woman. but like as i say a lot of that stuff like Moran as well even though like i i because my my mum was over at christmas i watched a bit about mrs brown's boys with her and i was surprised at a lot of the bad language actually because for such a mainstream hit but i think it's quite cozy for people to watch it's a bit like a, a soap opera it's getting the kind of same figures as a soap opera i think people, i think miranda and mrs brown's boys are pretty much seen in the same way as east enders i don't think people are, are splitting their sides laughing at it. i just think they go it's a very nice part of their evening and there's nothing wrong with that mm. but it's also like being Irish, like I'm very much aware of Brendan O'Carroll's kind of uh, history, and he he's just a very mainstream actor. And, like he, when I was a kid, he was doing shows. His name of his live shows were things like "How Are Your Wobbly Bits," so that's where you're coming from. You know, so he's kind of progressed then, I suppose, in some way. He's become well. You know, you, you can't like the thing is, I found as I get older as well is it's not my cup of tea. But if you're finding that people are able to connect with an audience that's a very special skill but i i just leave me out of it but mm. you know if there's a connection there you just you know back to churchill and democracy that's the way it is and it's you know i'm in the minority there but it's kind of uh, and you know it's just uh I, I do think with miranda i think at its heart there's a very central very strong um the, the sort of the mother-daughter relationship is done is mined comedically very successfully and in a way that we haven't really seen before i mean there have obviously been other mother-daughter sitcoms but i, yeah, but I, I can't believe you're even like you're taking their plot quite seriously there's no plot in those shows no but there there there, there are there, there there is a mother-daughter relationship that but there million, isn't I'm sure though, millions of people can relate but to any time i've seen it th- there's no characterization there at all it's just the mother saying i hate you you're a failure and that's not really. That's not like I just find it really odd that you're saying you know people can relate to the mother daughter thing because there's there's no thought gone into the characterization of those characters. They're just doing really funny sight gags and fair play to them. But let's not oh, you I know kid ourselves. I, I would disagree. I mean, there was an episode, not not this series, but the previous series, where they they went to see a uh, a psychiatrist about you know the, and to talk about their relationship, and they kind of and and they and they swapped roles. During the yeah. during the show, uh, and, and, and so Miranda became the mother, and she became Miranda, and, and it was just it was a really I thought it was very clever the way they did that. I'm sure it's not it sounds like a funny bit, it, but, but <coughs> just the point I'm trying to say is I don't think in the right meeting they were going, look, I really think it's important we talk about how mothers and daughters are in. I think they're going, wouldn't it be really funny if you pretend to be me and I pretend to be you, and then they wrote the bit. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And also, <laughs> I'd stake all my earnings on it. Well, also, I think there would be, you know, uh, they'd be saying, yeah, but, you know, we're sort of exploring the mother-daughter relationship here. Uh, and then i fall over the sofa and <laughs> get a custard pie, mate. Yeah, which, which you know, again, there's not... And, and, and I, I remember a moment, I might mention this before on this uh, podcast, when I first started writing a bit for the Lee Mack sitcom, 
uh, the, not going out. And there was this particular line that you know kept coming back. Could you try and write something? And we all, you know, everybody worked hard and we worked, thought, oh, we thought, oh, we come up with a great line here, and we came up with loads of lines for it. And then the episode went out, and in the episode, there's a there's just a moment where uh, Tim Vine is in a uh, is in a kid's uh, kid's toy shop or something, and then there's, a, there's those you know balls like they have yeah. at the IKEA and thing, and he, he just sort of walks in and he and he, he slips on the balls, and you know and I remember in the forums and, and everybody saying oh well, that not going out is so funny and when Tim Vine when he fell on those balls and you know it's just the funniest thing I've ever seen. And you just think oh my god we spent hours and hours sort of writing trying to write these sort of perfect gags and everybody goes oh yeah when Tim fell on those balls that's the funniest well, yeah, thing. But like, yeah but people you know like. Like still one of the probably if you're going to do the top ten funny moments ever, it's still going to be Dell Boys falling over. That is yeah. people yeah. falling over is funny. Yeah, yeah. But it's just you just have to like just be realize that there's different kinds of comedy and not beat yourself up about it. Really. Well, that's in fact that leads into the one other thing that I did want to talk about over the last the, the sort of recent uh, things, which is which is the the sense that comedy is to a large extent cruelty. Well, I don't know. I, 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 I had a really interesting uh, conversation at the weekend, and this isn't my thought, but it was actually blew me away because nobody's really saying it. And where, like, it comes into the cruelty slightly, but it's it's much bigger than that. It's the fact that um, why people uh, comedy has changed totally now is because initially the court jester was the court jester, and that's traditionally what he always should be. But now the court jester is making more money than the king. And it's a really interesting way of looking at it. So there's that cruelty because they're the bosses now. Right, yeah, yes, that's true. You know, they'll tell the king what to do. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, yes, I suppose they're, that's that's a, a good thought. I, was, I, I mentioned it just because uh, <coughs> I thought in the, the context of you know just before Christmas there was that awful case of the the um, the, the, the prank phone call from Australia, which uh, you know led led to the uh, situation where the nurse who worked at the hospital had put, put yeah. the phone call through and she uh, committed suicide, and it was uh, you know pretty pretty shocking. And there was, but um, the, the sort of the aftermath of that, there was a sort of the, the usual sort of call for you know let's stop this terrible thing now and and you know this should never have been allowed to happen but it, it but that, sort of the, that that kind of thing has been going it, it's kind that of wasn't the oldest that the, 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 the prank the idea of the prank call which has been which is one of the sort of oldest staples of you know before you know, prank calls we yeah. talk about candid camera which is probably one of the first sort of comedy shows on tv back in the 40s and 50s and 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 it's kind of always been around and and and, and just the idea you know people Laughing at people falling over. I mean, there is just do they, these just feel like the sort of yeah. Like I, I personally don't think anyone should ever be the butt of a joke. Mm. You know, I don't, there's no need for it. But I don't believe in any sense of it. And also, just the prank caller. Like I find some pranks funny, but um, that wasn't cruel, and that was just unfortunate. That obviously that poor nurse had like was quite unbalanced in her life for some tiny little thing to you know push mm. her over the edge. But you can't really blame. You, you can't really start telling people how to write jokes and how to be funny because of people's reactions and that sense. I think, like, you know, as I say, like, it's just a broad, um, you know, church of comedy. So, you know, if people want to do cruel stuff, let them do it. I, I don't particularly find, uh, like, I don't particularly find Frankie Ball's stuff that cruel. I think some of it's really funny. It's kind of, um, it wouldn't be the kind of stuff I write, but I, I defend him being able to say it. And I, I, I just find it, you know, it, it, this all kind of pretty much goes back 
um, to the Russell Brand, Jonathan Ross thing, and like people have been sacked, which was ridiculous as well, and just like you know, it was in poor taste bringing up Andrew Sachs, but you shouldn't really let that affect the whole comedy industry. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you know, I think if you want to look for cruelty in comedy, you'll find it. But you can find cruelty in anything you want, really. You yeah. know, if you're that way inclined. But I, I just think you know, let people. Horses for courses in that mm. sense. Because uh, in recent months, few people have spoken out about cruelty and comedy. And as um, Dawn French, who I remember did one of the, what well, I remember one of the cruelest sketches that I remember on French and Saunders, where she talks to her little kid and says, uh, "You know, sorry, we're, um, we're we're splitting up, and you know, we've just got to tell you, with mummy and daddy have got to separate," and then. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. And then it was just, I thought, you know, there's this little kid playing this character, and there's that, that was the sketch. And I thought, blimey. And then the, another one was uh, recently was Billy Connolly, who, um, of course, uh, famously made jokes about a man who'd just been beheaded. And, but you know, and no, he didn't really, to be fair. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it, there, there seems to be a bit of hypocrisy around about, you know, that. Comedy's getting too cruel now. I don't know. Well, no, it's like um, it's pretty much uh, like it's all about context there as well. Because uh, what you say, uh, like actually, Frankie Paul is very good on this, like um, about you know what he says on stage, and then if somebody takes it out of context, and like say for instance, a preacher then says it in church, it's the preacher who's to blame for saying it for quote because he's taking it totally out of the context of where it should be, and like like that's happened to me. I, I've been hounded for jokes. Uh, I, I did a joke about Manny McGann, which uh, bizarrely, um, like, and I'll gladly say the joke now because I, I was always able to quote it. It wasn't even about Manny McGann. It was the week her parents went to visit the Pope, and I was just doing the Hay and Why Festival, and it was um, and quite literally. I hadn't even, you know, I wasn't going to stay on my set. It was a topical joke that you put in a few at the start of your set, and I just said, "I see the McGanns are going to visit the Pope." I said, "I know he's a Nazi, but I can't see he's involved." Mm. And got us yeah. laugh for what it was because mm. it was topical. And like it's a joke about the Pope, and then the next mm. day, weirdly, the Independent, not one of the gutter presses, but they, uh, the Independent said um, this guy obviously had a gripe at me, and just said, "Oh, you th- uh, Sean Hughes thinks Manny McGann's ripe for humour." And for a start, mm. I'm going, "Well, it wasn't about Manny McGann, you idiot." And mm. then because I was doing Coronation Street at the time, I was. Uh, you know, it was open season on me. So then the News of the World started doing it. And what they do, of course, is get in touch with the McGannons and say, what do you think of all that? Mm. And they're going, it's terrible. And then that went on to uh, a live radio uh, chat show in Ireland where they had McGann's kind of cousins saying, what do you think about this? And then people ringing up saying, I shouldn't be allowed to work ever again. And they said, will you apologise? I went, no, I won't. And I said, you can quote the joke every time you want. I'm sticking by it. And like. Like I, I was kind of quite forthright in my opinion then, but what was scary was I didn't know what they were going to write the next day, and that's mm. a very scary thing. Like mm. now that I knew that that's all they were going to do, I would have been even more up for freedom of expression. But you know, it's like that. The Daily Mail have done that with Jack Whitehall as well. He's just going, yeah. you know, as point mm. people to point out, that's his job to make fun of things. You know, mm-hmm. he's on the show. Mm-hmm. It's not particularly my cup of tea, but he's like, leave him. That's he's doing his job. Stop having a go at him for doing that. Mm. And you, if you do it once, then it's. It's open season to have a go at everyone. So you just go, no, if you don't like it, you know, that's tough. But this is the way life is, you know. And I don't believe I don't believe comedy's gone any more cruel than it ever was. There's, like, there's so mm. many different 
variance to comedy. So you just let people do the thing, and if you don't like it, don't watch it. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point, though, about the the, the jester is uh, earning more than the <laughs> the king. I think that's uh, that 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 made that is the one thing that has that has changed. Yeah, completely. And that's you know, it's I, like I don't know about you. I I never got into this for the money. I like to, mm. you know make a good living and stuff but it's just it's never been a motivation and mm. it's just you know when you see like you know tours grossing millions you go mm, that doesn't feel right actually mm. 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 and of course the whole point of the, the the court jester was to say the unsayable exactly and, yeah. to, and and you know to get away with it because they're the court jester but this is what um, i mean so this yeah. this is why it's not so much cruelty it's more it becomes slightly obscene yeah. when multimillionaires yeah. are trying to tell you how to live your life you know it's, yeah. it's a bit like the government at the moment this well, is the first yeah, yeah, government in a long a time which has been extremely posh where you're just going well you don't know what it's like and mm. like you know you can't really rely on i'm not saying like you know there should be a call if you make too many then you can't speak again <laughs> but it is that thing of is don't pretend you're every man when you're not living that lifestyle like you know mm. right um just Couple of a couple of other little uh, newsy points. We mentioned uh, earlier that uh, Louis C.K., who's a great stand-up comedian, uh, I'm a big fan of his. But he's uh, fantastic news. Is he's coming over to do uh, some gigs in London? Uh, the rubbish news is he's playing the O2. Um, so yes, stand-up comedy at the O2. Have you ever been to, to a, an O2? I I have yeah I went to uh, Lee Evans uh, I think yeah. it was one of the one of the first uh, comedy performances they had after they opened right um, it's uh, what was it's your a very interesting experience yeah um, uh, yeah uh, interesting is definitely the word it's so you trying to be diplomatic y- here something like that yeah uh, it's it's a kind of weird sensation because you're you're there and yet you're so far away you also feel kind of separated at the same time sure yeah um so it's a, it's a kind of weird juxtaposition of the experience of of a live comedy performance and also being so quite so distant so have, have you seen a comedy show at one of the big venues that is like blew you away Not at a big venue yeah. that blew me away, no. Yeah. But then maybe that's more to do with the kind of comedy and the comedians that play them. Well, not possibly. Like, I, um, I, I find it hard to say because not, I not that I'm uh, suggesting anything particularly against the broader kind of comedy of Lee Evans or Michael McIntyre or whoever. But, um, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I mean, if if you are as popular as they are, and you know, you've got you know x hundred thousand people want to come and see you when you're performing live what do you do you can't just play well, 10 shows in a row at, at the fair, comedy that's what, store that's what billy Connolly kind of does he, yeah. he'd play like 10 nights at the uh hammersmith odeon rather than doing an o2 i think he's aware of you know the, yeah. his roots and that but, sense. He, but someone like michael mcintyre for instance you know there aren't enough days in the year for him to play mm. <laughs> if, if he was to you know, if he was to do that, he, you know, he's obviously so massively successful. I mean, I don't know how many nights he did at the O2, but it was, it was ten and counting the last time that I looked. It started at, at five, and then they sold out straight away. So he had another and added and added. No, absolutely, yeah, like so. it's the economy for them. But as I say, it's it's a bit of a weird one because you just, uh, 
you know, it, it just doesn't work, does it? By all accounts. Well, it does. I, I do think, and I mean, I know there are a lot of people who don't like what Michael, Michael McIntyre does, but I do think he's. Uh, I, I, I um, think he's the first stand-up that I've seen who seems to be able to play the TV audience and the big room kind of simultaneously. Whereas uh, when I've seen other comedians. They they don't we've seen them on the telly doing this. You don't doesn't quite translate in a way that some sitcoms that are, or many sitcoms that are recorded and they always feel fantastic on the night when you're there. And you think oh this is going to look brilliant and then you go and watch it on telly and it, it something has something mm. has got lost in the kind of translation yeah. from. Well, it, I, I want to be clear as well. Like when I, someone like the O2 as well, it's not just comics. I, I don't really want to go see bands and stuff there yeah. as well. It's just that's not my kind of thing. That place. I think it becomes. Yeah. It becomes an uh, event rather than a uh, comedy or a music show. It's just people want to yeah. go, I went to see Led Zeppelin at the O2. And yeah. like, it is like... But see, it's that weird thing, like, I don't know if you... I'm sure you've done other podcasts about it, but people have said, I think the clubs are suffering because people you would go to see comedy now tend to just go to see... Well, we go to see Mickey Flanagan and uh, McIntyre at the O2, and that's their comedy done for the year. Mm. And that's not knocking those who They're great comics, but... Mm. I think uh, with the ticket prices, in terms of ticket price, that probably that's, is the that's sort of ten nights comedy at the comedy store, isn't it, or twenty nights at the Ballon Banana or something? Well, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, but that's what I mean. It's just it's, it's event, like it's people just uh, having yeah. a big night out rather than you know yeah. want to see a skilled. It's comedian. a very different type of show. I mean, yeah. you don't, mm. you know, you, you certainly don't get the kind of audience mm. interaction or anything that's that's normal in a stand-up comedy show mm. in those kind of venues. Which might be a good sign, he said, being like a Radio 4 interviewer here, to introduce your new show. Well, you are, I say it's your new show, but the show that you've been doing uh, recently. I mean, this is the first time you've been back performing for a while, isn't it? Really? Well, back, no, back doing of, live. Well, no, I've been back about six years, but right. I, I did a DVD about four years ago. Right. Um, but this is the first time I've kind of... Uh, I've done a show which is just not just doing stand-up, it's proper narrative. Right. And it, just, it took me a while to kind of get back into that groove, you know. Right. And also because a lot of it's about death. Right. It took me 18 months to develop because regardless of how good you think you are, going out and doing an hour about death, mm. you don't you don't go out with confidence for the first mm. time you're doing that. No. You're going, this is going to kill. <laughs> but so I kind of really was, t- you know... Yeah. Pitter patter of tiny jokes at the start, and then just seeing if I could do it, and then just like more by look than judgment, I just really got a cracking show together. Mm. And like I say that, like you know, it's it's one of those shows. It's the only show that people have actually thanked me for doing because it tends to go slightly beyond, you know, a funny night out because mm. people feel it, it goes a little bit beyond. But like I haven't said that the other people just leave them totally cold. But you know, because mm. again, that's. Comedy is such a broad thing, but yeah. it's. Uh, I'm just really delighted with the reaction I've got. I just did Bell, like, because it's an Irish show more than anything else. Like, yeah. it's not, you know, but it's, like, it's, it's about, about a relationship with your dad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And like, awesome. obviously, I was brought up in Ireland, so I did it in Belfast on Friday night, and uh, it was just like a different show. It was just like it was kind of it was quite devotional, you know, mm. in that sense of uh, not me, but the show, because I'm talking about. A very much an Irish viewpoint, which I've taught it like all that's the first time I've done it in Ireland, so it's just all been Britain so far, and it's been a great reaction. But it felt like I was taking it home, and I'm doing it in Dublin, 
um, next month, and I'm just so looking forward to that with all my heart. Yeah. And then yeah. in London, I'm doing an Irish venue, so I'm very purposely kind of saying, like, I want everyone to come to see it, but yeah. it's just that tiny bit extra special for Irish people because it's just, it just takes, like, it's, it's where, it's the reason I do comedy uh, is because I, I always thought, like, the reason I do comedy is I was 13, I saw Richard Pryor on the television, and I went, oh, my God, you know, I want to do this. Cause, and it wasn't like he was telling jokes. He was, like, being free and easy with his life and expressing mm. himself. And I just went, this is remarkable, and I want to do that. It took me years and years and years to, you know, to, to start honing to... Even because that's the thing about the clubs, you have to initially start doing jokes. You can't do observational stuff. You try, mm. and you realise you're rubbish. You just haven't got the, the set of skills to do it. And you just use all your skills and just go, comedy can be not life-changing, but it, it goes beyond jokes. It can be really life-affirming. Mm. And the thing I've realised, like, as a real latecomer to joy, is um, is that the best comedy nights are the ones that you go out feeling better. And, like, now every show I write has to be uplifting. And like the thing that I'm really proud of, I've written a really uplifting show about death. Mm. You know, and it's it's that thing of now, like, because jokes, like, you know, guttural, you, a couple of seconds, and then you're on to the next one. But humour, if it's done well, like the likes I've seen you, Dave, do, is it can be beautiful and make you feel better about things rather than just going, oh, I told a, a very clever, funny line. Mm. That's a big distinction that people keep on forgetting. And it's ridiculous because comedy can be so joyful. And that's why even this year in Edinburgh, and I don't like my Mars, but they won all the awards. And I saw Dr. Brown's show. And it wasn't for me, but again, go back to he connected with that audience and he made them feel the show is very life affirming. Mm. And we tend to forget that it's not just about jokes. Yeah. Humour is to make people feel better. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's become, I mean, a lot of people say it's become like a sort of cliche almost where stand ups do shows about the sort of relationships with parents. <coughs> but I think. I, I think it was James Joyce. I think who said originally who said that all you know all literature is about fathers and sons. Isn't well, it? no, but it's more you, you like this is the, where you, you get your two different types of comedy. There's the people who write about what they know, and there's people who write jokes. Mm. And my dad died. What well, I wasn't going to write a load of jokes about, you know, mm. self-serving uh, kind of supermarket machines, and not talk about yeah. my dad dying. I, I think I'm decent enough comic to be able to. Yeah, you know, do that, yeah. or you could have done a fantastic show about being in complete denial about your dad's death, <laughs> and just do a whole show about self-service. Well, no, we could do it when he, when he was just thinking now. Something we could have done the when we were putting him through the funeral. We could have beep, and you know the barcode <laughs> wasn't right or something, and he lived another year. Yeah, or got a new dad. Yeah. Or two for the price of one. That's sick. I'm on fire here, so Dave. You are. You're on fire. I hope you're writing this all down. Now, aren't you? I think it's been recorded. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Yes. Oh. Wow. But, but you know what I mean. It is like. Uh, yeah. But that's why I, I never take what's. You know, when you see the big people like just doing jokes and stuff, it's fine. But like, I, I just feel delighted to be able to go on stage and just express myself and, and, and be able to do that. I don't care if it's not to a huge amount of people. Did you when you came back and you were doing stand up then? Were you uh, how did how did you sort of find that sort of twenty or whatever fifteen years or so after you'd been? Um, I found it like obviously you're kind of rusty, but I think I've always felt quite natural on stage. I've always felt that's my domain, so that didn't that came back fairly quickly. That you know just the comfort on stage because I know some people just couldn't bear being on stage, and I've mm. never understood why they did their job. Right. 
Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that came back. But then, as I say, you kind of... Um, I sometimes think you have to take a little break from things just to kind of build up in your head what you think about things, you know, rather than... It's just... It's, I think it's very similar to, you know, bands and albums. Like, you can't just go, right, we bring out an album, let's start writing the other one. You, you have to live a bit of a life to then be able to talk about that. And, you know, I'm kind of... Uh, the next show I'm starting to think about, but... I'm not going to just do a show for the sake of it. If I, even if I'm booked in for Edinburgh and it gets to April, and I go, "This is a load of shit." When I'm going to talk, I'm cancelling it. Mm. You know, but I do feel like I've enough to start, you know, ruminating in my brain to do it. But you know, you know what I mean. And mm. I think after we did the DVD, I, I did a load of stuff, and then the next show, um, I thought it was fine at the time, mm. but I look back on it. Uh, I did a show, Ducks and Other Mistakes I Made. It was just a hodgepodge of just half baked ideas, really. Mm. And uh, but I didn't know that at the time. It's just that looking back, I just went, that wasn't great. <clears throat> yeah, it is. And unless you're doing an absolute straight down the line narrative, it's kind of difficult to know, isn't it? Until after you've done it, uh, to kind of to sort of know what it is, almost really. Yeah, and like it is that thing of uh, again, people don't understand, and you'll totally know where I'm coming from. Is Edinburgh used to be about you go up with that kind of half baked idea, and then mm. the whole idea, the reason it's on a month is so you you have a brilliant show at the end that's changed to mm. you're on a month so every tv producer can come in and possibly give you a tv series that's not what the Edinburgh festival is about and how dare reviewers you know, come in and, and review you the first day and not realize that this is a an organic show that you're gonna do mm. and it's just that that's totally changed and, and in a sense that's a kind of p- partly that's the sort of professionalism side of it as well is yeah. that there's so much kind of PR and so much money yeah. goes into so that that first week that you know the, the and there's so uh, many shows so people do yeah. need PR to try and sell it but it mm. like a festival in itself is just a sharing meaningful mm. experience and it, it shouldn't be like Montreal uh, just for last that's a, a kind of you know a shop window and we know that so mm. do it there but Edinburgh People just people who've gone to Edinburgh have no idea what the Edinburgh Festival is about. Well, what, they just think they yeah. should do it to to further their career. It, it used to be just a beautiful where we'd all get together and we'd all share ideas and we'd go, mm. oh, what are you doing your show about? I think there are still elements of that. I get a just sense of about. that. Uh, there are a lot of comedians who end up just being in other people's shows and ha- mucking about and doing stuff and, and doing kids' shows and things like that. That's changed. One thing that I noticed that I was really pleased about that, that doesn't seem to have changed, I was doing a show... Well, that all the venues are really shit. <sighs> oh, no, tell me something new. Um, <laughs> that's what I mean. That's yeah. one thing that hasn't changed. Yeah, that thing hasn't changed. But, but the other thing I did notice, I was kind of walking around a, a lot and um, there were still the kind of strangers bumping into you and saying oh you know and they're looking at anyone know anything about this one or it's two o'clock i want to go and see something and someone said oh oh you know someone else handing out leaflets saying well oh i know what's on at two o'clock it's really good you should try you know if you like this sort of thing exactly and that's the kind of that that for me was always what i mean because i didn't have pr or anything like that that was kind of my whole way of getting audiences was the sort of word of mouth thing really and i think that's that that still does seem to apply that you can you can have a, a, a but, word of mouth but aaron as a punter you go to Edinburgh, yeah? uh not every year but yeah, yeah but you know what we're talking about there yeah, about has yeah, changed def- and how do you feel as a punter then um it's not something i really thought of in that way before i must admit but that's in- what i'm really for. interesting point. i thought you have to spend i mean uh, you've spent you're you're trying to get as many shows. You've got a whole sort of logistical nightmare, haven't you? That's probably what mm. I guess what Edinburgh means for your 
guide is god how do i get 2000 yeah. shows reviewed or, or you know how do i get to how do i get to see 10 things or whatever but uh i mean uh, just generally to i mean we've been talking a lot about your your uh career sean anyway um i mean you you you've kind of tended to dip in and out of comedy anyway haven't you you've never you're not someone who it's like we were saying about the people who were well, the perrier people the year after you like the uh, eddie Izzard, frank skinner joe brown jack d they're all people who who you think of as uh, you know people who have had their entire careers since then have been sort of comedy yeah. related more more or less and uh, you you've kind of gone off and you've done things well, yeah, like I, sort of written plays and stuff as yeah well, there was a, there was a point when uh it kind of like after the Sean show I, I i still always like if I, you know i'm a stand-up comedian that's what i do and everything else is a bonus and it's um after Sean show um I was doing tours. They couldn't now the stadiums like we were doing, like two thousand seaters and like. But um, there was loads of fourteen-year-old girls coming along, and I was just going, "This isn't again what I'm doing comedy for." And it was like I do a two-hour show and then a two and a half-hour autograph session, and uh, I just went, "No." And then, I, like after the second set of Sean's show, I said, "No, I'm not doing any more of this because I'm a stand-up comic." And then, you know, I kind of. Uh, then I started writing novels, and then once you start writing novels, you realise you can get much better ideas out in novels than you can in a stand-up show. So I said, I'm never doing stand-up again. And it's just that thing of then I waited till I got to a certain age, uh, the beginnings of middle age, I realised I had other things to say, and then I realised that stand-up can be such a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. So, it was like, But I had to take that complete hiatus to mm-hmm. be any good to come back. And it wasn't... There's a lot of people just coming back, and they don't really know why they're coming back. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm glad to see them all. Like even that, you know, Rob Newman's coming back this mm. year as well. Well, I saw a show he did about four years ago. It was a fantastic show. I thought about a, a sort of very green related yeah. show. But I love it when people come back for the right reasons. Mm. But like they're not. See, this is the weird thing. There's a load of uh, the old heads coming back, but not like people who are coming on the circuit now. There's a lot of young kids coming up purely to get on television and that's not why we were doing it and that's not why we're coming back to do it now it's to mm. just purely it's a brilliant if you do it right comedy uh, ex- to express yourself is just a beautiful like and I know people get all wanky about saying it's an art form but it is if it's mm. done right it's much better than theatre it mm. says much more than theatre can ever say because theatre is so, so straight jacketed all the time mm. and we can break the third wall whenever we want when the and like I think there was an interesting article in one of the papers just last week about how theatres now are starting to break, because it's also the I haven't seen Governor and Two whatever's, but you know mm. it's been phenomenally successful. And what really grates me there, and I, and I won't get to say it, is uh, they've got some plants in the audience, right? Which is the thing that no comics mm. would do, but they actually because you know mm. you meet some knobheads who don't know comedy and go when they see you at the show and yeah. they go, oh, were they plants? Well, you go, well, well, yeah. Yeah. Jump in a river, but <laughs> but like actual. So people go and James Corden was no, he's just hilarious, and he's, he's just he's not ad libbing, and they thought it was brilliant ad libbing, and like it's such a cheat, and I just go, as long as you're aware it's a cheat, they should say at the end, you know, you've just been, it's like a magician, you know, that was a trick, mm. it's a really basic trick that they've done on you, and they're just going, oh, it's just so funny, see what he did with the sandwich and the person happened to have a sandwich on him, and you're going, yeah, you've just been done, you've been hard, and. It, I think uh, I'll defend even the worst comics that I have no respect for um, above anything like that. 
Mm-hmm. Name names. Everyone knows. The, the people just put their own names in there. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. But but it is that thing of, um, you know, I, the, I still have much more respect for them than, than people who cheat like that. like and, and Or any act who kind of has actual heckle put downs, you know, to, mm. that they do every night. Just, you're not a comedian. You should really leave. Leave the mm. building very quickly. Mm. You'd agree with that, surely? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's definitely, uh, yeah. I mean, I do. I, I remember seeing people when they were starting out and, and they, they, they brought along their, their heckler uh, to sort of, so that they could do their, their spiel know. with them. And, uh, but uh, that was, um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's not, it's it's never going to, you're never going to build a career on that really, are you? Oh, you'd be but. surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently that's how Little and Large started. Is that true? That, that's a, is it a true story? Is it just one of those uh, urban myths that... Uh, it wouldn't surprise li- me, but Little was on stage. Uh, I don't think that he were called... I think that would have been a coincidence too far if he was actually called Little and yeah. the other guy was Large. But Sid Little was dying on stage, apparently. And I can well imagine that. Heckled. <laughs> yeah. And this bloke started heckling him, and so the the the, the believable bit is where Sid Little says, "Well, if you think you're so funny, why don't you come on stage and show us?" Which which I've seen happen many times. Yeah. And so this guy came on and was funnier. And no, that's was, that's, that's, was that's nonsense. Large. That's like the luckiness no, monster. That's not true. All oh, right, I've heard it from various sources. Exactly. I was about there. different people. <laughs> no, it's just one of those. Yeah. yeah. And then Billy Crystal walked on, you yeah, know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it's all nonsense. <laughs> but, but no, it, yeah. but but yeah, no, it's kind of. I I do think uh, like that's what I mean. I'm I'm a stand-up, but yeah, I I always wanted to go off and do other things. Yeah. But it's still, you know, it's the same mind at work. But I just think, I just so happen to think that uh, comedy is the best way of articulating that if you can do it mm. well. You were very friendly with uh, Bill Hicks, weren't you? Well, you know, so. we're mates, but mm. I wouldn't, you know, that yeah. kid's not coming up. But like, you know. If, yeah. if you know anything about Billy, he didn't really have that many friends anyway. Right. But no, it just so happened that, uh, again, I was doing a, uh, the Melbourne Festival and, mm-hmm. and he happened to be playing uh, a smaller room next door. And it was it was really weird, actually, because just even at this weekend, someone who's seen, who worked with Hicks on Channel 4 was going, yeah, I like Hicks, but he's really overrated. And he started, I was saying, well, no, he was really, he was really good, but... But and he was saying, well, what what bits do you like? And it, but if you analyse anyone like that, if you yeah. get down to nitty gritty, you go, well, God, nothing's that good, really, is it? Because yeah. like Hicks, his material, like he he was like a phenomenal comic, comic in the sense of you need to see him live. You you saw that magic there. But yeah. his stuff was great. But you know, you're not going to go, oh, this material is going to blow your mind. But yeah. what I loved about Hicks was, um, like as I say, he because I was well known because they'd shown Sean's show there, so I had a big audience. And he was getting nobody to see his show, and um, and they papered the audience. and And this was a time like there was a lot of Americans come up to London who were pretty rubbish. It was like, hey, where are you from? Hey, my hometown. Yeah. And we all hated all that. Yeah. And uh, so I was expecting him to be one of those. The motor said, "Would you go in? Because there's no one coming to the show. Just come in and show some support." And I went, "Yeah, okay." And his opening line was bearing in mind, like you know, people there not really want to be there. And he just went out and his opening line was, you know, to go out with a comedian, it takes a very special lady or a bunch of average ones. How you doing? <laughs> and I don't think it's an amazing line, but what I do think was amazing was he had the balls and the kind of, uh, not arrogance, but the self-righteousness to go, well, I'm going to alienate half my audience knowing that I'm funny enough to win some of them back. Like some people just walked out straight away with that one. I'm not listening to this nonsense. Oh. And I, that's what I mean. Like, and 
he's one of the few people who I think he did a Paramount, uh, you know, one of those four minute oh, yeah, slots. Yeah, yeah. And anyone who does a four minute slot, um, it's horrible, but you're forced to go, well, do your best joke first and do your second best joke last and keep it fairly tight in the middle. And, uh, you know, and it's very much that, please love me, please love me, please love me, good night. And uh, Hicks's uh, one was going, pardon me, well, I shovel out the same old shit I've been putting the fake smile as I do this shit again. And just him doing that, I just went, ah, oh, that kind of, it stirred up comedy. And that's why every 20-year-old now wants to be Bill, H- Bill Hicks and... Of course, they won't be able to because the very fact that they want to—they're saying that means they won't. You have to be your own person. Like, yeah, but, but when you're starting out, though, you, you know, a lot of people who start out are very much, you know, they're, they're kind of they're they're like their their heroes. Yeah. Aren't they, well, really? weirdly, I, I it had the very opposite effect of me. So I, I really got to love Hicks in Australia, and we hung out a bit and stuff. And uh, and then that was the beginning of me stopping doing stand-up because I thought. What I was talking about then was just not as good as what he was doing. And, like, whether you're deluded or not, you want to feel you're the best at it. And, like, you're going, I don't understand why, why John Bishop's selling out 15 million because I'm so much better than him. Well, you know, the facts would probably tell you you're not in the historical scheme of things. And But when I saw someone like Hicks, who, who wasn't uh, even selling as many people as me, and so I just went, no, he's actually a lot better than me. Mm-hmm. And that made me think, well... I'm not going to do this for a while because I can't be as good as Hicks. You know, so yeah. I, I had the very opposite effect. Rather than not wanting to be Hicks, I went, I'm not going to do comedy for a while because he's actually very, very good. Yeah. And that's how good I thought he was. Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's that's, that's, that's really interesting. And then was that kind of... Uh, uh, was, was that when you started to more to kind of write novels and poems? And, well, yeah, and, kind and, of... Um, yeah. No, I always did the poems. Like, that. that was always part of the thing. Like, I think... I haven't written a poem for such a long time. You did a show with Owen O'Neill, I remember. Yeah, we, we wrote... a really good show. Was, yeah, like... Uh, Owen brother, and I, we were did... brothers? Well, we did... Uh, we did three plays together. We did one, uh, Patrick's Day, which won a Fringe first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we did two short plays together, which won a yeah. Fringe first as well. And I'm only saying that because you put all that effort into doing it. I know oh. you do it in Edinburgh for three weeks and you win the award of... And nothing happens. And you go, well, that yeah. was a lot of work for nothing. Yeah. And yeah. uh, and that's quite annoying. So I, there's a possibility I might go up with Owen and do a set. If I do the show in Edinburgh, I'll go up and do another show with Owen in Edinburgh this year as well. Because right. I love working with him, and it's just a lot of fun. Mm. But yeah, but like that's what I. So doing plays was great, but it was just like you know, because it, it's just that thing. If you if you're on the road for six months doing stand up, and then you just go, you really want to break from it, and you're tired of hearing your own mm. voice, and so it's nice to play characters, and then. You know, I kind of I stopped in Sandman and was writing and, and doing various bits and doing lots of acting, and which is lovely as well because, as you know, it's such a lone wolf being a stand-up. Just acting as, you know, with a cast was amazing. And I uh, did some West End plays and then, uh, you know, Buzzcocks, which was, you know, just not really using much of your comedic skills doing that. It's just pretty much writing the same show every week. Did you enjoy doing... Initially, it was really exciting, and also it was kind of one of the first panel shows. So it wasn't like, oh, here's a panel show. So it was mm-hmm. quite an exciting new thing for TV. But, but I did ten series, and it was like we pretty much did the same show every week. And I went, well, I'm not like I don't want to be renowned. I'd rather be remembered for something else than mm-hmm. just being, oh, you're the captain of the buzzcocks. So th- I had to get out of there fairly quickly then. Right. Well, ten series is not exactly. Uh, you know exactly, yeah. But mm. like, yeah, it was five years. But I think now it's probably been on fifteen or something, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, 20, series 26, I think, was the last one. Yeah, but it was like, like have you written for it and stuff? Uh, just very, very briefly, yeah. Because it is that thing of, uh, I guess I was like... I mean, that's, to, to even say, writing for it, it's, it's yeah. quite a few... I was like 30... So, so much the, the interaction between the guests, you know, the writing is and, uh, pretty much an insurance. Well, yes, yeah, just for a couple of the kind of yeah. poppy stars. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I was kind of thinking 35 going... I can't really be pretending I know all the intros to all songs and and like because like Parlor Games is very much an English yeah. thing. We don't really do that. That's yeah. not part of Irish culture. Right. You know, we're usually drinking whiskey and then throwing empty glasses at each other. Yeah. Which doesn't really translate to, to panel shows as as much. What? So yeah. But so that's what I mean, I'm kinda of having to pretend I like Bon Jovi and stuff and looking at the car going, Oh, see if you'll guess this and I just went, No, this isn't no. really uh, me, so and like it was all very sweet. I kind of said I'm not doing the next, I'm not doing it after the next series. So I gave him plenty of time yeah. to get some people in. But I just, but you know, th- th- it was really fun at the start. But then mm. it's also you know you're coming in, turning up on the Monday and going, who's this person? I want me. I don't know who this pop star is. Right. And that just became a bit pointless. And I felt I was getting a bit too old for it. Really. Right. Right, yeah. But they did buy us clothes, so that was nice. Yeah. But like, this is a weird thing as well. Because like, we used to get a clothing allowance on, on Buzzcocks. You know, you don't, you know, I didn't go into comedies to be fucking getting a clothing allowance. But we used to get that. And then um, I didn't take it very serious, obviously. But And this is absolutely true. My accountant rang me up years ago when I was in the Buzzcocks and says, um, we, we put in a certain amount of money for clothing for... Uh, for your allowance, you know, tax allowance. Uh, but the the taxman's queried this because this isn't a joke. The taxman mm-hmm. got in touch with queried this because he's seen you on the bus cooks and you look like a tramp. <laughs> <laughs> and that's absolutely. He wasn't just doing. Here's me little one liner to everyone in the tax. He was saying you, you can't claim for these shows, these <laughs> shoes and stuff because you don't dress very well. How much well. it costs to cultivate that tramp? <laughs> Tell <away>. me about <laughs> it. But yeah, I've been told that story before, but that's absolutely yeah. true. <laughs> Oh, brilliant! So, um, um, but I'd like to talk actually a little bit about working on Coronation Street. I mean, I, I, uh, that, that, that I know a few comics who have who've done soaps, and uh, but it it, it 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 sort of seems almost a, a little bit like being a stand-up. I suppose you you turn up for work every day, hang around for a few hours, and then. But but it's a the sort of the daily grind thing. I imagine. Well, but, well, one of the reasons I got back to do stand-up as well is I did a. A, a TV show called The Last Detective with Peter Davison, which I adored and it was great fun to do. Mm. And it was um, weirdly um, only people over sixty watched it, so I get I get mobbed <laughs> by really old women sometimes. And and apparently it's huge in uh, in America with a certain you know demographic. So like I I go on holiday to America and Canada as well is really big. So I'd be there in a diner and like to be like. Two eight-year-old, a couple eight-year-old, just staring at me. I go, "What's the thing? I'm going to steal this stuff." And I go, "Are you mod from the Last Detective? We thought you were." And that, that's a really weird thing. But, but the reason I bring that up is we were filming uh, a scene in uh, Fair, Fairfield Hall in Croydon, a place I played, and uh, it was a wrestling scene. And I had two lines and in this scene, and the scene took seven hours to do. And I remember thinking. You know, as a stand-up, I'd come here uh, a half hour beforehand, yeah. do a beautiful show to 800 people and go home and get much more satisfaction than waiting eight hours to turn to Peter going, do you think he was the murderer? And <laughs> and I went, oh, I have to start doing stand-up again. But right. with, with Coronation Street, 
purely because uh, I love my mother and it made her real really happy. Yeah. Because it, it was surreal. Because basically they just go, uh, "Do you want the part?" And I went, um, "Yeah." And like I tried to be a bit wanky with the acting, pretending I was a better actor than I was by going, "Could you give me some background information on my character?" And they go, "Yeah, hang on a second. Has <laughs> 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 he not seen the show? And the guy's going, uh, he, must, I, he was on the phone, he must have been about 12. He's going, ah, yeah, your, 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 your character's name's uh, uh, Pat, and he's a traveling salesman. And I went, uh, what kind of stuff does he sell? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, and, uh, and that was all I got. And, but then you kind of, uh, you, but they say, so turn up at uh, nine o'clock at Granada. And all of a sudden, you know, you're there, they give you your clothes, and then they say, right, do your first scene. And there's no, hey, welcome aboard. And yeah. you, you're all of a sudden doing a scene in the Rovers. Like, you have to just do it. There's yeah. no rehearsal or anything. And that's balls of steel, to be yeah, fair, because yeah. you're going, you look around going, Jesus Christ, I've seen this all my life. What am I doing in here? Action! And they're going, I, uh, pint, please. And because, uh, and weirdly, because Craig Charles is on, and Craig used to be on the circus, we all know him. And, you know, he was lovely, actually. He said, oh, by the way, you should know, only one of the doors of the Rovers uh, opens. And Because like, they don't even tell you that. So I was like, I'm pulling the wrong one. They're going, right, cut, get this idiot. But it was, um, yeah, so it was just, it, it felt like, it felt that, that was the most surreal thing that ever happened. Mm. But, like, and the only reason it was a beautiful uh, experience was because the start, the, the cast are just so friendly and so absolutely welcoming because it's it's horrendous as I say just turning up and no rehearsal just do your lines yeah. and like some of the lines were so pitiful that um, you know you kind of you just you just hope for the first time you're going to be they're going to cut these things out had some of the like you know I, I had a line in, in the calf which I said no can we lose this because it was like because God love the writers they, they're great but they've so much now it used to be once a week and now it's like Four, every day three, or whatever four, and they yeah. go like, one of the characters was saying to me, uh, so, uh, what's it like being a travelling salesman? Going, ah, you go from John of Oates to Land's End. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody speaks of this. Could someone have a word? But, it, like, the kind of, the positives certainly outweighed the negatives in that situation because it was just, uh, and like, I was doing all the scenes with the one actress because that was her love yeah. interest, so that felt really bonded as well. Yeah. But it was just a beautiful experience, but just... You know, I was chancing my arm. I was just great to do it. I remember as, as a, when I was a teenager, I used to watch Coronation Street a lot. It, it was it was one of the best comedy programs I know, on yeah. TV. They had fantastic. They had great double acts. They had and then they had sort of characters like Stan and Hilda Ogden, and they had uh, um, Curly Watts, and before him, the guy uh, Jeffrey Hughes uh, character. Well, no, Jack. Uh, uh, Jack looks what used to be good as well, but. It kind of that was always characterization rather than lines, but and like when I came in, the writers were going, oh, we can't wait to write for you." But because yeah. I was at the end of six weeks, those scripts had already been written for whoever was going to take it. So, you know, yeah. th there was no lines I could really get, you know, get any meaty roles I could actually say things. It was fairly basic. He's a love rat, you know. Yeah. That was that. But yeah. um, but yeah, but but I think people say that about Coronation Street, but. You know, I don't think it was ever that funny, to be fair. It's a bit like I went to see the Alan Bennett play, uh, Cocktail. Are you a fan of Alan Bennett? Um, sort of, I dip in and out, I would say. Because I think he's too English for me, because mm. I appreciate that he's extremely talented, mm. uh, but I just went, it just leaves me cold, really. He's, mm. he's, but he's very much of that ilk of Coronation Street. You know, he's going, yeah. he's, his whole attitude to life is, oh, we mustn't grumble. 
And I just go, well, I don't really go with that ethos, really. Well, I think more of people, uh, writers like Jack Rosenthal and Paul Abbott, who I think are much more, they're writers that uh, I yeah, uh, I admire them much more. Uh, not, I haven't really seen enough Alan Bennett to to, to be to be honest. But well, I think that Jack. Have you, Jack have you watched? Uh, fantastic. Have you watched Girls? I haven't. I've heard have you seen that? Out? Yeah, it's the best thing on television, and it's the best yeah. writing on television. Yeah. Are you, how are you feeling? It didn't do anything for me at all. <laughs> See, so that's, that's what I mean about it. comedy. Subjective, isn't but no, it? It's, uh, but that's what I mean. There is brilliant writing, but that's mm. again characterised. I think it's phenomenal. I should mention it. actually that Alan Bennett is a, a big fan of our our uh, man here, who's doing our recording for us, Daniel Kader, who has uh, has got his own show as well that he's, he may well be doing uh, in Edinburgh next year. He's an, another Edinburgh stalwart, but. Uh, He's uh, he likes your stuff. You haven't got a mic, have you? Don't I haven't, you? but he does. Right. Okay. <laughs> I will verify that was a positive answer. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, would you would you do something like that again? Do you think? Uh, yeah, short term. I wouldn't ever. Yeah. How long were you actually there? Were you uh, doing Corrie's book? About uh, eight weeks. So I was kind of in and out as well. But yeah. no, I like people. You, you like you probably can imagine, but it is that thing of even when I did it. Like I remember, I was doing a gig and. You know, in, in Devon, the week later, and I didn't think people would know, but like people just, they really asked you, like, you know, I was going back to the hotel after a show and it was going, oh, it's Pat from Coronation Street, and like yeah. real drunks and dicks, basically. Mm. When, when you're something like that, dicks are entitled to come and just hassle you. Mm. So you just, it's not worth it for any yeah. of that. Well, I've noticed, I don't know if you ever walk around um, Crouch End with Cliff Parisi, right? All, but yeah, I can you imagine. Know, he just yeah. gets wherever. Wherever you go, there's always someone. All right, Cliff. All right, mate. You know, he was a uh, guy who played uh, Minty in uh, EastEnders. So gets it slightly less now. That he's but in, he's so in the Call the Midwife as well. Yeah, so he must get some of that. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I do. I'm, I'm aware of that kind of. Oh, it's awful. It must be a pain. But yeah, like that's what. Um, see, it's that weird thing of again. If you buy into the whole celebrity thing, like mm. where I wouldn't get recognised, you know, hardly at all now, which is great. But then, like, th- this is, like, the horrible thing. When I was in, uh, myself and David live, or David and I, for the punctuation, Nazi, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I just went into my local uh, fruit and veg shop in um, in Crouch End, buying an onion or something, and the guy went, oh, you know, really friendly guy. Oh, Sean, what son wrote about you? I went, well, look, you needn't go any further here. I don't really need to hear. I don't read the sun, so I don't need to know what they're saying. Yeah, but about you disappearing off the face of the earth. Oh, I wouldn't stand for that. I, go, I just came in for an onion, and now I'm my ego's been battered. You know, and then, like, luckily, I'm old enough now. I'm not, like, I'm sure it was one of those comments where whatever happened to him, and he's, but I just thought, like, I didn't pick him up and said, what in your right mind did you think? Why did you say that to me? Did you think that would make me happy that you're telling me I've disappeared off the face of the earth? What, what part? I'm buying my onions somewhere else now, my friend. But but this is the whole thing of like if you get involved in any part of celebrity, then if you're not as famous as you were, yeah. then there's a terrible sadness and people, yeah. you know, like you'd finish a like a fifty date tour and people go, people seeing the street go, what are you doing with yourself? <laughs> yeah, just. <laughs> doing that, yeah. you know, but you haven't been on telly. And like, I do in in the life becomes noises. Um, it's an absolutely true story, mm. where um, and like I, I love doing it. But it's uh, the day the kind of service uh, the day before the funeral in the church, where my dad's coffin's laid out, and it's quite literally where 
basically it's my mum and my two brothers in the in the front pew and and it's the day this people just come and go sorry for your troubles and I, and this is exactly what happened. They went up to my mum, sorry for your troubles, Mrs. Hughes. Up to my older brother, sorry for your troubles, Alan. Up to my younger brother, sorry for your troubles, Martin. Came up to me, sorry for your troubles, Sean. You haven't been on telly much lately, have you? <laughs> my dad's funeral. And I do a whole, that routine yeah. goes into something wonderful. Yeah. But that did happen. And luckily, I can laugh about it. Because yeah. I think like a lot of comics, I don't have a great sense of humour. But I just yeah. went, this is just unbelievable what you just did. <laughs> He's just totally disrespectful. You can't win there, can you? Because if you if you just were crying at the sort of sadness yeah. of the event, you'd probably think, "Oh God, he can't take it." Can I, well, this is what I mean. But it's <laughs> like, but like, there's kind of uh, it's a celebrities. Are, it's a bad thing to even take seriously at any point. Yeah. So the show. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry to be London phobic here. I know I've got the dates. You're doing the 13th to 16th of February at the Tricycle Theatre yeah. in London. Are you, where else are you? Well, then um, we're doing. We've added uh, more dates onto the tour. I think it's in May because of uh, overwhelming unemployment on my part. <laughs> right. Um, but I'm sure you'll be able to put the dates up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's about 50 more of those, and then. Like hopefully the plan is to do a new show in Edinburgh, but then do the dad show again in October, and then start the tour of the new show in January. Okay, that's so you're the plan. not very much back in the, the live. Well, I'm in that groove now, groove, so yeah, yeah. that's like and like everything else I do would be a bonus. So it's just yeah. that that's what I do. Um, the tricycles. Have tricycle. you been to the tricycles? Such a beautiful theatre. Oh, many times. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I, I think of it less as a, as an Irish venue now, more as a Jewish venue actually. Jesus. Cancelling so, that run, then. Yeah, you're, you're, I'm afraid you're a bit bugger there. No, the yeah. tricycle like is uh, it's very good. It tends to do quite a lot of political stuff, it and does, it's yeah, uh, yeah. it tends to cater for, if you could call the Irish and the Jews minorities, but they do tend yeah. to. It, 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 it's the uh, sort of the, the, the beard stroking white minority North London intelligentsia. I think does that be a fair description of? Well, I'm <laughs> of, going to uh, hopefully make them laugh. It's good. Yeah, I, I saw uh, Mark Thomas's show about the. Uh, yeah, I uh, saw the that on the walk. Yeah, the one I saw it there. And actually, have you seen Mark's show about? No, I stand? haven't because, and he hasn't seen mine either. I think it's when you're doing that, you just don't want to see yeah, something. Yeah. But like, I have like, uh, is it Gordon Summer that comic? Gordon Summer. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 came up to me in Edinburgh and said uh, his dad's very ill or something. Right. right. And I have to point out, you don't have to have a dad or an ill father. With my show in particular, it's people who uh, have got young kids seem to love the show more right. than anyone else. Because I'm saying, you know, we ask too much for fathers. But um, mm. but he went to see my show and he said went to see Mark's show and he said the difference between the shows was at the end of Mark's show he cried mm. and at the end of my show he laughed. And so the, yeah. I think they're two very viable yeah. things to do. But as yeah. I say, I, I my my two benchmarks for when I was writing this show was no sentimentality whatsoever yeah. because I I find that mm. awful. And it has to be uplifting. Yeah, it's not a sentimental show, Mark's show. But I, 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 not having seen your show yet, and from what you've said about it, I can imagine that 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 would be the the case, the difference between the two shows. But but I'm looking forward to coming to see your show at the Tricycle. Sean Hughes, thank you very much for being our guest on Thanks for uh, having What me. Are thank You Laughing At, and uh, we'll see you all very soon.